Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Squarespace. Destiny is calling, guys. It says you need a new website. Make it with Squarespace. Make it yourself. Easily create a website by yourself. Make it stand out with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Create this beautiful website to turn your cool idea into a new website. Showcase your work. Blog or publish content. Sell products and services of all kinds. Promote your physical or online business. (laughs) Announce an upcoming event or special project. And of course, more. Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers, the ability to customize look and feel, settings, products, and more with just a few clicks. And of course, there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CROOKEDCONVOS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with Squarespace. I'm Erin Glory Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. And you're listening to Crooked Conversations. On today's episode, we talk to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand about the Me Too movement and the tweet heard around the world. I think he was trying to silence me. And I think he was trying to silence all the women who stood up and spoke out against him the day before. Uh, And I don't think he recognizes that millions of women have been speaking out against his policies, against, you know, the way he, you know, has continued to undermine our constitutional democracy, whether he's attacking the free press, whether he's attacking the judiciary, whether he's attacking DACA kids or transgender troops. And so for, for myself and for, I think, a lot of women across the country, they're angry and very frustrated. So, Alyssa, I wanted to talk to you about what Me Too looks like as it plays in, into politics going into 2018, because that's something people are talking. I hate kind of getting into the like political strategy. We're not going to be strategists. No, we're, we're not. Just, we're going to talk about how we feel yeah, and gonna, what we think. Yeah, totally. But I'm just thinking like, I think my reaction to the Roy Moore story and reaction to the John Conyers story, the Al Franken story, the Blake Farenthold story— uh, the story of Trent Franks was extremely intense. And I can't imagine as a woman that my reaction to learning about sexual abuse in the highest levels of power, uh, I can't I can't imagine that I'm alone. How do you feel about it? No, you know, here's the thing that made me so sad about Roy Moore and, of course, Donald Trump is that, you know, I felt like, especially after the first Weinstein story, that people, the media— Americans knew that we were serious, that this was fucked up, that we weren't going to have it, that it was not okay. And that when the Harvey of it all and the Charlie Rose of it all happened, they at least apologized. They admitted what they did was wrong. They admitted they abused power. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was so, why I was so afraid that Roy Moore would win, aside from the obvious, is that it would mean that denying works. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it works for Donald Trump. Do you think it works for him? I mean, it works in that he's the president, but do you think it works in that he's been able to prevent damage to other people around him as a result of those things? Mm. 
TBD. I mean, like, well, you know, Roy Moore didn't win in Mm -hmm. the end. Yeah. But it is when you think about it. I mean, he stands up there as the president of the United States, the person who foreign leaders of countries that have violations and practices far worse, you know, than what we are dealing with. Look to him as the leader of this country. And he just stands there and is like, not a problem. They're not credible. And. And to me, it's almost like I almost think that people in America don't take him as seriously as people in the world, you know, who in areas where we have been trying to make progress and help people have more democratic and transparent governments. And they're looking at him and they're like, well, maybe we can back it up. You know, maybe it's not. If America's not going to lead, then who? And so, you know, for the me too of it all, I just feel like, you know, it's time. I think that it's going to take a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to have a... You know, I do feel a little uncomfortable with, you know, just deciding someone has done something by reading it on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, which is different than an actual news source. Right. You know, and something that's been at least fact checked. Um, but I, I we've, we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up. And I think that a lot of people who I don't think have not necessarily have problems with it, but are getting to the point in thinking about it where they've had to answer some questions within themselves. Yep. Um There is a difference, obviously, between a claim that somebody makes on Twitter or on an anonymous spreadsheet, like the shitty media men spreadsheet. Um, If you're not familiar with it as a listener, the shitty media men spreadsheet was shortly after the Weinstein story broke, circulated among a lot of women who were in the media. And initially, it was uh, anonymously, you could edit it anonymously and an untold number of, as long as you had the link, you could go in and edit it. Mm -hmm. Uh, After about 24 hours, it was shut off to editing, but not before a lot of names had been added to it, along with a lot of alleged crimes, many of them serious, many of them criminal. And, uh, you know, I got my hands on it in a couple different ways. And some of the people on the list were people that I knew or whose bylines I knew. And what's crazy to me about this is, you know, like here's a tale of two moments in the Me Too situation. So we have the Roy Moore story where there were well-sourced accounts of, of, you know, sexual misconduct. Uh, We have the Al Franken story where a pattern was established and several media outlets that do fact-checking looked into it and they found women that that went on the record about this. Um, And then we have, you know, here's the other side of that is on that shitty media men list, I think... Of the ones that the versions that I saw, only two of the men have had anything happen to them, which to me doesn't it's I'm not complaining like they should all be punished. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that it's really hard to, you know, that could be a tip off to looking into something, but Mm -hmm. it's it's nowhere near a conviction. Well, it's a lot like um, when you and I we were at a dinner the other night together and we were talking about um, mislabeling or miscategorizing somebody. And the thing that I think I have learned through all of this, because look, it's like you're busy every day you go about, you want to get your job done, blah, blah. But, you know, Harvey was known as a bully. Charlie was known as a philanderer. You know, Mark Halpern was known as a creep. And I think that the thing that this has taught me is to think twice when you hear those words. Mm -hmm. Like, what's a philanderer? What's a what's a playboy? Is mm-hmm. a playboy a euphemism? Is he just someone who dates a lot of women? Or mm-hmm. is he someone who, you know, imposes his power on a lot of women in the office? And because he's powerful, people assume it's dating. Right. And so for me, that's been um, 
you know, like that list you talk about, it's it's the kind of thing like maybe it's not all 100 percent true or it hasn't all been revealed, but it does make you think differently about what behaviors mean. Right. It definitely does. And actually, I was thinking about the the list was sort of a, a hard copy version or a digital version of a whisper network, which is where women kind of tell each other like they use words like creep or playboy or philanderer or weirdo or he's weird with women. That's another one that I hear a lot. He's he's weird with women. He's weird. Yeah. Or he gets weird when he drinks. That's one thing that I've heard a lot. Yep. Um, you know, as I personally would take something like that as like a warning and I would maybe avoid working with that person or maybe I would avoid the situation that I was warned about being in. Right, with like that maybe person. you wouldn't go for drinks. Right. Maybe right. you have tea. Right. Exactly. In the same way as if I were about to rent a car off an enormous lot and, you know, let's say there's 30 red cars. And before I went to like pick out my car, the agent was like, just so you know, one of the red cars might explode. Then I would just avoid. You'd be like, I'm going to go with my yellow Camaro. Right. I don't think that every red car is going to explode. I've just been warned that one of them might, so I need to avoid it. But one of the things that I think that you and I both have not struggled with, but grappled with and approached and thought about, um, the term sexual misconduct encompasses a wide array of things. So much. Do you think every single thing that fits in that category is a fireable offense? Like what, when no. is something actionable? No. So here, and you know, I feel like I'm going to get hate mail or some shit for this, but you know, for me, it's like, look, go back to when George Bush was president. Remember the, the uh, picture Ugh, of, him, have to? of him? Come on. Wouldn't you rather right now? I mean, yeah. um, when he was massaging Angela Merkel's uh, shoulders at mm-hmm. some event or something, some like G8 meeting for God's sake. And, you know, you're like, oh, I'm sure he didn't mean it. Or like, you know, you're like, he's just trying to be friendly. He doesn't know how to talk. He doesn't know how to interact with a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I feel like for us, if 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 someone does something and you tell them to stop and they do it again, it's a fucking problem. Mm-hmm. If there's a pattern of behavior, if, you know, I mean, of course, if something's really bad. But I think we're talking about more of the fringe stuff that's mm-hmm. like the gray area. Right. And um, for me, I just think that the most important thing that we can do is sort of just like the institutional structures for women to say, hey, like he did this. Like, what if I, Alyssa, don't want to tell George Bush to not massage my shoulders? Mm -hmm. There should be a mechanism for me to have that resolved, Mm -hmm. you know, without me having to confront someone who I'm probably intimidated by. Right. Um, And then if they don't, it's a problem. But but I do think that, yeah, I do think that, you know, of all things, and I don't want to blame HR departments because there are people, you, mean, you have to assume that they take those jobs because they want to protect people. Right. And HR departments are dominated by women, which is another interesting dynamic in it this is. whole discussion. I believe. So in my, uh, in my structural sort of thinkings of companies, uh, something that we did in the White House, it was not intentional, but when, when we were uh, in, I guess, the first term, if you had walked around the West Wing, you would have noticed that the split between male and female assistants was about 50-50. Mm-hmm. And when you inject more male assistants into the equation, being an assistant suddenly doesn't feel like you're a career assistant. Mm-hmm. It becomes a launching point. Mm-hmm. It becomes just an entry-level position. And it changed, I thought, based on when I worked in the Senate and when I would worked on campaigns, it changed kind of how people treated the women and his mom, you know, that like yeah. suddenly they weren't just there because they love fucking printing shit. They were professionals, too. I don't and know. Printers are pretty amazing. <laughs> I still can't use one. Never tell anyone if you know how. Um, 
<laughs> some advice, Alyssa, ladies. Alyssa will call you up. Don't <laughs> make you print shit out. Also, for it. never admit to being able to type like more than fifty words a minute. But um, but no, I think that that's the problem. That historically, female positions are human resources operations. Um, you know, and they're just they're typically not as respected as much, but they're actually the core of what makes companies function. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the more that you infuse men into those jobs. Yeah. Um, it's important for perspective. Any, you know, just just every nothing should be a women's a woman's job or a man's job. But, you know, we've been working on this for a couple of years, like 50. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, but maybe people are finally starting to listen. And yeah. so, you know, the more female CEOs that you have, the more things change. Yeah. Well, the more men you shove into having to deal with people's problems, the more perspective they get. Yeah. I mean, it it does seem like it's a function of power asymmetry. And I also think, you know, we were discussing this before we started recording, um, that it's not necessarily being a a woman doesn't disqualify you from being capable of sexually harassing somebody or acting correct, acting in a way that encourages a a hostile work environment, bullying and intimidating. Yeah. I mean, it all kind of comes down to that. Yeah. And in order to bully and intimidate, you have to be high enough up be in powerful. the company because if you're just like a you're you're somebody that's just entry level and you're bullying people be like get the fuck out of here right like, you don't you're fired <laughs> um one of the another thing that I've noticed and did you see this story about uh rep uh Mary Captor she's a Michigan Democrat? Michigan yeah yeah uh, there was apparently there was a closed door meeting and during the meeting she made some comments uh that about uh, about the necessity of uh dress codes. Oh, damn. Yeah. So I'm going to read you the quote because I don't want to demonize her because this is a very, this isn't. It's topical. It's topical. I don't want to demonize her because this this is a shitty thing to say and it's a shitty thing to think, but we all think and say shitty things Mm -hmm. sometimes. Uh, Here's what she said. She said, I saw a member yesterday with her cleavage so deep it was down to the floor. First of all, what? I mean, (laughs) did she not have a bra on and was she 85? Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Down down to the floor. No. I'm sorry, you're on acid. <laughs> that's not that's not how human boobs go. But anyway, uh, it's so deep it was down to the floor. And what I've seen, it's really an invitation. Uh, and then maybe she went on to, and then she went on to say, maybe I'll get booed for this. And then she uh, she said that men have a strict dress code, and she doesn't understand why women are uh, women's dress codes have been. I guess, lacks recently. See, but it's funny to me because the dress code that used to be, so when I was an intern, girl, let's like wind it back up to the 90s. When I was an intern, you as a woman could not go to the Senate floor or the floor of the house unless you had on a skirt and pantyhose. So really, so that's this. why pantyhose still exists. Yeah, well, that and because they keep you warm in the winter if you wear them under pants. Oh, okay. okay. FYI. Wow, good tip. Yeah, keeps you warmer than uh, keeps you warmer than just anything else, basically. Well, I just I'm gonna grow my leg hair out. That's, that's my plan. My for the winter. Is. Oh, <laughs> time for winter sweatpants and leggy hairy legs. But but when you think about it, I'm like, okay, so that was the dress code. Yeah. Well, how is that better than a woman in a pair of pants? Yeah. Like, how is that more? Because I'm assuming she's saying we should be more conservative. Right. I think she is saying that. But I also think like, you know, they have relaxed the dress code in recent years. Uh, There was kind of some blowback about wanting to make women cover their shoulders. And can I I tell you a funny dress code story? Yeah, please do. So our friend John Favreau, 
uh, John uh, rings a bell. Rings a bell. He uh, he is the reason that we could not wear jeans on casual Fridays anymore because he and our other friend Tommy Vitor came in with holes in their jeans, <laughs> and uh, our boss Pete Rouse, who's recovering from surgery right now, we love you, Pete. Um, he was like, "That's it, too much, went too far." <laughs> Oh, man. But that was— But nobody would ever say that John and Tommy were asking for women to go around and poke their holes in their jeans. And, like, I don't know about you, but when people let me relax my dress code, I mean, it's it's about sweaters and borderline cargo pants. Right. But, you know, look, you see what they're talking about. You know, on the one hand, like— you know, in high schools, you talk about it, and there are uniforms, right? What do uniforms do? Or, you know, pro or con? And I can actually see the pros and cons of uniforms. Mm-hmm. But I I really, a dress code just works against everything, I think, yeah. I believe in. Well, I, I also think that it's it kind of presents, like, an interesting example of women who feel like, they might feel deep down inside that they're doing what's best for other women by suggesting that they somehow take responsibility for how others treat them. Well, and it eliminates an entire portion of the population that may be, like, trans mm-hmm. or, you know, non, uh, non-binary. non Yeah. So, you know, that's another thing. It's like, what are you what are you really imposing on people by yeah. imposing a dress code? Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. And I also think that just kind of to, to zoom out a little bit, um, it seems a little infantilizing to assume that if women don't have a dress code, they're going to wear like bikinis and that we don't know better. Right. And, and I think that the not trusting women to know how to act is kind of a through line in a lot of regressive Mm-hmm. attitudes, regressive policies toward women. I, I and, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I've been doing my stretches. So <laughs> uh, when I when I think about things like birth control and abortion policy, reproductive health, which yep. is probably as serious as you can get with this through line. Yep. Um, the expectation that women will somehow just go skipping into the abortion clinic at 30 weeks is something that informs it's, like and, and it's like, no, you can you trust yes. can you trust women to decide what they want to do with their bodies like they are. They're adult humans. They get to decide. And it's, you know, it's a much smaller and much less high stakes situation. But trusting women to know how to to dress with maybe some rough guidelines seems fair. Rough guidelines. You know, if you're a corporation and you expect very professional suits and whatever, so be it. I don't care. I wouldn't work there because that's not how I feel comfortable expressing myself. I've seen you in like two different. I feel like I've seen you in three clogs and we've only hung out twice. (laughs) See, and if someone was anti-clog, I would just be like, you're losing a lot of talent because you're not letting in the clog. (laughs) Wait until you see my Birkenstocks. Um, I I cannot wait. But no, but that's the thing. It's like you're not smart enough to know Mm -hmm. what is appropriate or professional. Mm -hmm. It's but you're right. It's the through line. It's like you can't figure out how you should dress. How you should also we can't let you have unlimited access to reproductive health care because we don't know what you're going to do with it. Right. And (laughs) it's like, thanks, Captain. Yeah. I mean, it. You know, have you ever gone out with a guy who doesn't know how to cook? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is not not all men, obviously. But, you know, I, I have went out with a guy who just didn't know how to cook. And every time I sent him to the grocery store, and I cook a lot. And every time I send him to the grocery store, he would be like, I, I'd be like, call him out of olives. Okay. And he would come back with like a can of green <laughs> olives. And it was just like, but it was like, you know. Just pimento. Right. And it's like, no, I can't. I, I, can't, I can't make Greek food with this. Like, what, no. are you, what are you doing? It's but but like that sort of a being a being a person and knowing how to conduct yourself and how to dress is not something like grocery shopping when you don't know how to cook. And I feel like yes. women get treated like 
idiots a lot. And and like just to kind of go back to what we were saying about the Me Too mo- movement and moment, at the same time where we're viewed as sort of these little simpletons, we're also expected to be the caretakers of men's sexuality and men's feelings. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a big component of what we're seeing here, too. Yeah, I mean, look, if you look at, you know, like kind of, you know, almost put Harvey aside because I think he had a pathos that was actually at another level um, mm. than some of the people we've been talking about. Yeah, he seemed like he had a rape. In, he like was a, a rape real. enthusiast with a movie ha- habit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the occasional award, yeah. but deep down. Yeah, he was, he, was in it, he was in it for the rapes. He right. was not in it for the award. Right. And then, but you look at, uh, at some of the other people that we have heard about or even people that we know, and there is a real make me feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not even sometimes it's not even that it's women go into social interactions thinking I have to make this person feel good. Exactly. About no, exactly. And yeah, that's just, and they want. And the thing is, though, that's what they were seeking. Mm-hmm. You know, they like these men would see these women and it would be like, if she makes me feel good about myself, maybe we will keep her around. Only he has no idea like how he, you know, acted that out, you know, like how in real, like his mind, and it must have been one way in his mind and mm-hmm. not in action. I'm going to say I'm very lucky because in terms of ever having to please people, competency and a sense of humor seem to have done the trick. <laughs> um, so, you know, but it was, it, you know, as someone who was pretty young in politics with a pretty powerful position, I had to really thread the needle a lot to be like, you know, like the military reported to me in certain instances and I'd be like oh and literally my number one concern was oh no are they gonna like me (laughs) I mean now in a in a way it was practical because I had to work with them and I you know if anyone's read my book confrontation gives me IBS and so like I like to live in a happy place I like it to just be like a little bit why didn't you call it that why didn't you call the book confrontation gives me IBS (laughs) well wait till I tell you what the second book's gonna be called because it's it's it leans into the IBS of it all great but but that you know so for me it's like my pleasing just made my stomach feel better but but you know the one thing that I was lucky about is that I proved that I could just be myself and they would respond, I stopped feeling that hyper anxiety to please them and make them feel comfortable. It's Mm -hmm. like I was upset about an outfit I wore once into the situation room because I didn't know I was going to the situation room that day. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why did I wear Kate Spade hearts? Mm -hmm. Like, first of all, why did I wear Kate Spade hearts? One. (laughs) But second, I was like, I'm going to alienate them. Yeah. Do you think they thought that when they put their medals on their on their suits that day. They're like, oh no, we might make her feel uncomfortable. Like why Why was I always worrying that I was going to make people uncomfortable right. dressing like a Care Bear? Well, I think that dress sounds very cute and I would have complimented you on it if I were in the Situation Room probably wearing... Maybe someday we will be in the Situation Room together. You don't know that. Maybe. Uh, I love bright florals, so I would probably be wearing something like that. But, you know, what I think is interesting, you, you're talking about women feeling like they're the caretakers and they're the ones that have to worry about other people's feelings mm-hmm. all the time, which sometimes leads to situations where uh, women find themselves, it, it's hard for them to extract themselves from doing something that they don't want to do. Yeah. Um, and men, meanwhile, just kind of go about their day. They're like, hell yeah, I'm great. And if so, if I feel bad, it's somebody else's fault. Yeah. Don't you think that the happy medium or like the ideal state of personhood would be if everybody were a combination of those two things? Because on one hand, it's good it's to actual be, utopia. Yeah. It's good to be aware of how what you're doing is affecting mm-hmm. other people and the and the space around you. 
We'll be back with a very special guest after this break. Alyssa, can I give them a clue? Okay. Who it is? Okay. Her name rhymes with Blenator Blearston Blillebrand. Back soon. <laughs> Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Upside. How's your things to do in 2018 checklist coming along? Mine's a work in progress, but I do have one thing that belongs on every business traveler's list. As you know, I am a business traveler. Book your next business trip at Upside.com. When you do, you'll get the better business travel experience you deserve and a free pair of Bose SoundLink wireless headphones. Guys, that is a pretty good deal. More on that in a second. First, though, here's why you'll love Upside.com. Only Upside has customer service specialists who look out for you every step of the way on your business trip, handling any problem that might pop up. Their team is hard at work 24-7 to make sure your flight, hotel, and rental car all go off without a hitch. They're available on demand by chat, phone, and email whenever you need them. Only Upside monitors your business trip around the clock, proactively keeping you posted on everything from the weather in the city you're going to to changing your flight home so you can adjust your meeting schedule. That is very convenient. Have you ever experienced that level of service before on a business trip? I haven't. All that plus Upside has great prices for flights, hotel, and rental cars. Now, to get the free pair of the Bose SoundLink wireless headphones, which are, by the way, the best headphones you could possibly own. I have a pair. They're tremendous. Use the code CROOKEDCONVOS when you book your first business trip at Upside.com. That's code CROOKEDCONVOS at Upside.com to claim your Bose SoundLink wireless headphones. Upside.com. You deserve a better business trip. Headphones available while supplies last. Must be first upside purchase. $600 minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. Go get them at Upside. Senator Gillibrand, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So delighted to be on your podcast. <laughs> thank you. This is Erin, by the way. So this is my voice, and I'm sure you know Alyssa's voice. Yes, well. you're officially crooked today. <laughs> I do. I do. All right. So we'll make this quick because I know that you've, you've got a busy day. Um, Senator, did you ever think in 2006 when you were first running for Congress that 11 years later you would be publicly harassed by President Trump? No. (laughs) (laughs) Like in your wildest dreams. When you were just rolling around upstate New York, you're like, where is this going to (laughs) go? Yeah, no, I could have never guessed it. Um, It's it's surreal now. I mean, it's it's bizarre. I mean, we have uh, an outrageous president who does outrageous things, says disgraceful things, treats people poorly. Uh, It's just... You know, no, I could have never imagined it. When when Aaron and I were talking today, I was saying to her that, you know, I had read that you were pulled from the prayer breakfast to be shown the tweet, which, you know, I saw in a cab on my way to work. And how did you, when you read it, what did you think? Like, how did you, sh- you showed a lot of restraint in your response when I imagine you were ready to just pull the pin out of the grenade. Well, I was a little more um, calm. I just, uh, my chief of staff read it to me over the phone. I said, okay, well, you know, that's ridiculous. And obviously I'm not going to be silenced. And so I said, think about what you want to say. And I went back to my prayer breakfast and that was it. And then I got pulled out another 20 minutes later to talk about what the tweet would be. And then we tweeted it and that was it. It was very, and then I went back to the prayer breakfast and finished the prayer breakfast and then went to my office and the day continued to blow up. That's probably the best way to deal with that sort of thing is just to carry on with your life. Um, Do you think 
you know, in, in dealing with the president and, you know, his whole sort of thing is trying to evoke a response in people. What do you think he wanted you to do? And do you ever think of yourself considering, you know, when the president does something, is he just trying to be deliver- deliberately provocative and, and am I walking into a trap or do you consider his feelings at all? No, I think he was trying to silence me. And I think he was trying to silence all the women who stood up and spoke out against him the day before. Uh, and I don't think he recognizes that millions of women have been speaking out against his policies, against, you know, the way he, you know, has continued under to undermine our constitutional democracy, whether he's attacking the free press, whether he's attacking the judiciary, whether he's attacking DACA kids or transgender troops. And so for, for myself and for, I think, a lot of women across the country, they're angry and very frustrated. And I think uh, people want to be heard. And that is what this moment in time is very much about. And I think he just thought he could just, you know, just, you know, punch my face and shut me up. And it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certainly not going to be silenced on this issue. It's something that's really important to me. And uh, I'm not going to uh, cower or uh, withdraw from this conversation just because the president decides to send a very sexist slur mm-hmm. across Twitter. Because you, you, know, you have sorry, been, it's, go ahead. No, you've been calling for his resignation. Are you, I mean, I support you. Um, <laughs> are you getting a lot of support in the Senate from other women and other members of the party in that regard? Well, I think there's been a handful of senators who have come out and said that they believe he should resign. Um, I, I liked Maisie Hirono's tweet uh, in response to the president's tweet saying that was outrageous and you should resign. So mm-hmm. I thought her defiant tweet was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think uh, I, I think there's a lot of us who want to have this investigated. I mm-hmm. think there's really very much a call to investigate these allegations, to have transparency and accountability. Uh, because, what you know, in this moment that we're in, this Me Too moment, uh, there's accountability in all industries. I mean, we're seeing very quick accountability, whether it's in Hollywood, whether it's in the media, or whether it's in Congress. And I think that people want to see accountability, too, uh, with regard to the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I keep seeing and hearing is, you know, a lot of men who have been accused of sexual misconduct credibly have faced professional repercussions. And one point that I hear being made over and over again is that Donald Trump hasn't. He's still the president. Do you think that there are professional repercussions coming for him down the pike? I do. I think that he will be held accountable ultimately because I think the American people are going to call for it. And I think women, particularly across America, uh, are wanting to be heard on this and are willing to fight for justice and are willing to speak out the fact that these survivors have come forward again and had another press conference to talk about their uh, complaints against him um, and the stories of assault and harassment. I think they are passionate and they have decided they very much uh, want to be heard. Senator, you came out. You were the first one to come out and call for Al Franken to resign. And after you did that, about 25 other senators came out within the minutes, you know, following your statement. And in the last 11 years you've been in office, you have led on this issue since day one. And do you find that the sort of extreme nature of what's happening now is what has helped what you have stood for all along really start catching fire? I mean, because you're still the first one out there, but people seem to follow a lot faster. Since the Women's March, really, uh, you have seen a cry come from women across this country on issues that they care about. And this issue of uh, being able to 
hold your uh, harassers or uh, assailants accountable is really important. And that's why the Me Too movement, while it's existed for 10 years, really has taken off this year and particularly in the last few months. I think it's time has come. And so for a lot of people, they're looking for clarity. They're looking for justice. They're looking for accountability. And, you know, with regard to President Trump, if Congress doesn't hold him accountable, the people certainly will in the Mm -hmm. next election. And so I do think it is a reckoning. I think it's real. And, you know, I, I have been in this space for the last five years, fighting really hard for survivors of sexual violence, first in the military, to really begin to hold commanders accountable for their very poor performance in, uh, first of all, preventing these rapes happening on uh, on bases and throughout the military, and then creating uh, some measure of accountability where justice is possible, which right now isn't because their conviction rate is so low, their prosecution rate is so low, and commanders aren't putting forward enough cases. So, this is a part of a very long continuum of effort, but I think this moment in time has very much uh, become so intense and powerful because of the reaction to a Trump presidency. Um, well, one one more very quick question. Uh, you know, I think with the barrage of accusations that are coming from all over the place, all over different industries, different parts of the country, uh, sometimes it's a lot to handle. How do you remain hopeful that things will change for the positive? Well, I think last night's election has created enormous hope in Mm -hmm. me and optimism about the future. You saw people turn out to vote. You saw women, African-American women, uh, the African-American community do extraordinary things in this election. And this election was our democracy at its best. People worked really hard to be heard. Uh, People got out to vote. We had a high voter turnout in a lot of places. And people wanted to be heard. They were not going to allow uh, this election to pass without them getting their vote counted. And I think Doug Jones is a unique candidate. He did some extraordinary things in in his lifetime. Fifty years ago, four little girls uh, were killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, And Doug is the one who successfully prosecuted uh, those killers. because of that bombing in the Birmingham church. So he's a he's an important person who is now going to be a United States senator. And that inspires me and it makes me excited. Kirsten, thank you so much. We know you've got to go get the kids. Mm-hmm. Thank you for fitting us in and making time. You are my hero and my friend. Thank you. Well, thank you guys. Uh, it's really just the beginning and we just have to keep fighting. All right. Keep in touch, Kirsten. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Talking to Senator Gillibrand reminds me of, you know, she she was like we like we said in the interview at the forefront of the push to uh, get Franken to resign yep. from the Senate. And Franken and Gillibrand are two people who've worked together and yeah. who agree on most policy issues. And you know, it's really interesting because a lot of times women who are standing up to men are having to confront the fact that their friends or colleagues that they really value yes. are engaged in misconduct. Mm-hmm. Um, like we saw with Nancy, when Nancy Pelosi did the Sunday shows a couple weeks ago, you saw it kind of happening in real time. It was it was pretty painful. I was almost mad at her because it's like, I thought, you know, it was sort of an act of hubris to have even gone on the Sunday shows because if you haven't resolved in yourself what you're going to say, mm-hmm. let's not put that on display if you're the leader of a party, right? Right. Um, but it is hard, and especially when you're talking about politics, because if you're someone like Kirsten, and you're saying, you know, we have to we have to ask Franken to step down. You're 
you're hurting not it's not just a personal thing. It's a party thing. Mm -hmm. And if the Democrats are pure, you know, 100 percent and super pious on this and saying, you know, zero tolerance, you're out. But the Republicans like Roy Moore and Donald Trump were just denying it. Mm -hmm. You know, if they continued to deny it and the Democrats continued to purge, we could have ended up with a Republican majority. Well, we do have a Republican majority, but a greater majority just of like harasser deniers. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, and, and I know we talked about not being political strategists, but I'm just saying this as a woman. Just for a minute. As a woman and a voter, um, if I'm choosing between two parties and one party has shown and has led by example and said, you know what, we take this very seriously. This is a part of a lot of American women's lives, a lot of American women who aren't as powerful as we are. We acknowledge that this is a problem. And so we are we are being an example of getting rid of workplace harassers or people yes. who who create an environment where it's difficult for female employees to feel like they can work effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the other hand, you have the Republican Party who has Roy Moore, the, the teeny bopper. Oh, God. I mean, there's uh, like everything about him is wrong. Yeah. Especially the way he rode that horse. Damn. Oh, poor sassy. Poor sassy. Poor sassy. Um, I mean, but 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 seriously, you know, if I, if I were just looking at politics, looking at political parties, one party stood up for making sure that I felt safer at work and the other party just very, like, obviously stood up for men who said women are liars. It, I, I feel like... That's not the only factor in my decision of who to vote for, but it can be a factor in but it matters. How, yeah, of how enthusiastic I am about either party, whether or not I decide to stay home or whether I decide to go canvas. It's, you know, when you look back on it, I feel like the momentum, if there was actual momentum to strategize for a minute, mm -hmm. was, look, if the Democrat people couldn't have gone ape on Roy Moore if the Democrats had not purged their sins, mm -hmm. right? And so when Franken came out and he was like, okay, I step down, I resign, the Democrats, it was no holds barred. There mm -hmm. was no hypocrisy because mm -hmm. they had walked the walk and talked the talk. Right. And so I think that that is, I'm glad that it happened. I'm glad that it's all happened. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the other moment was that, uh, you know, you look down at Alabama and even when you think about it, like so many people in America, not just Alabama, know that Senator Richard Shelby came out and said he was not voting for Roy Moore. Mm -hmm. To me, that was like, I was like, damn, we are making progress. Yeah. Because it would have been easy for Shelby to just not say anything. Right. I wonder if he wrote in Nick Saban. Did you know? I, that's, I did. A lot of people did, 19, right? 19,000 people wrote it's, in the name of the Alabama football coach. Which is literally the margin. About the margin. Yes, which is hilarious. It's awesome. Uh, Nick, Nick Saban is literally the only white guy that made a difference in that race besides Doug Roll Jones tide. himself. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I, but, you know, you bring up Franken, and I think I have complicated feelings about it because I understand strategically why he needed to resign. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's really dishonest to pretend what he was accused of doing was anywhere near in degree to what the president has been accused of doing. Or Roy Moore. Or Roy Moore, or even, like, Blake Farenthold or John Conyers, yep. who were doing that shit at work mm -hmm. and making it difficult for women at work. You know, Al Franken was definitely doing something wrong. But, you know, his resignation on, on like, lesser charges than mm -hmm. all of these other people are facing was something that, you know, I'm not sure that, it, for, for right now, it might have been a strategically good decision, but I, I'm, it, it saddens me that his behavior led to the end of his career. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's hard, though, because it's, you know, there's a lot of people who try to use the Me Too moment as a political weapon. Right. Uh, which is sort of exactly beside the point of what it's supposed to be. It's Correct. supposed to be this. Well, especially because you and I, like we're talking about Harvey and we're talking about Roy Moore. I mean, 
if the Me Too movement does anything, I mean, well, it's done something already, but if it continues to be meaningful, it will help hotel workers. It will help women in factories. It mm -hmm. will help the women whose jobs are impacted, who have to accept this behavior because mm -hmm. they need the paycheck. Right. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And I think one of the things that we don't, we haven't really discussed a lot, uh, and I think part of the reason is because the women whose stories have been told are the ones that automatically have platforms or, yeah. or they they deal with a man who has a big platform, so it becomes a story with a platform. But I think as this goes on, we're going to get into talking about hospital workers and the type of danger yep. that they face. And we're going to talk about people who work in restaurants and I, it's casino good, workers, casino I workers, mean, uh, women who work even, you know, even in like sex industry adjacent jobs. Sure. Like if you're a, a dancer or you work in a strip club as a waitress or something, there's, you know, there's a lot going on that still needs to be hashed out and still needs to be discussed. And mm -hmm. I just, how, how long do you think it will take for us to get to a point where we're like, okay, we figured this out? So I think it's probably going to take a while, but I think there will be some sort of like watershed moment in 2018. You mm -hmm. know, I think we'll be able to sort of measure. Like what around November, think. maybe? Yeah, maybe November 2018. I think they call it the midterms, you know, colloquially. <laughs> um, but I think that that's the moment. Look, you know, they're saying, Emily's List says they have, you know, 20,000 women who have just signed up to uh, to run at local levels. You have the guy who, what was the city clerk, Kim Davis, that awful woman. Mm -hmm. Well, the guy she didn't give a marriage license to is now running against her. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that the more those stories of sort of survival and overcoming happen, mm -hmm. I think that everybody will start feeling a little bit more like, yeah, I don't have to accept this, mm -hmm. you know, at the at the most grassroots level up to the most senior levels. I don't have to accept this. And there will be a I feel like by 2018, there may, there hopefully is like a modified sense of confidence and, you know, I don't know, presence. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right after the election in 2016, I remember feeling very nihilistic. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it all mean? Yeah, what does it matter? Nothing. Who cares? Nothing I'm going to drink for three months or whatever. You know, it's I, I felt awful about myself and I felt awful about the world. I'm just like, who gives a shit? Who, fuck it. And I think a lot of people went through. I didn't cry because I was just like stone cold. Oh, about I it. cried. No, I didn't cry for like eight months after it happened. Then mm -hmm. I finally was able to cry. And I was like, oh, what's the? Oh, I'm crying. But it wasn't about election. I think it was about a like ad with puppies in it. It's a little something. bit like a rom-com ending. Yeah, right. It wasn't as, except it wasn't romantic <laughs> um, or comedic. It was just kind of sad. <laughs> uh, so No, but what I, I think a lot of people went through a period of time where they felt really bad about things and they felt like, who cares? Yep. And right now, I think a, enough people have come pushed through that and into this feeling of feeling like, okay. Indignation. Yeah. yeah. Not indignation, but like indignation that's productive. Yes. Like, okay, what can I do? I'm not going to, you know. They're you know, off the couch. Right. I'm not Morning gonna, is over. I'm not going to write like mean comments on a Facebook page. What I'm going to do is I'm going to run for city council. I'm going to canvas. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of my family and I'm going to do the best I can to try to make my little corner of the world better. Be like a good citizen. Yeah. Be, yeah. A, be a good person and a good citizen. And I think now one of the hopeful things that's come out of this and the Me Too moment is that there's been this kind of weird, strange bedfellows moment with conservative friends of mine mm -hmm. where we'll kind of look at each other and say, oh, you know what? There's right and wrong. There yes. is right and wrong. Sexual misconduct is wrong. Mm-hmm. And we agree. And how can we work together proactively yes. to, to help eliminate that? And I find that very hopeful, even though next year we will resume 
screaming at each other. I do think— But maybe it will—maybe the conversation will be a smidge more elevated. I hope so. Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for joining me. This was so fun. Alyssa, did you have fun? I had a great time. Good. I hated it. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Check back next week for another great conversation from the Crooked Network. 